Welcome to Shine, a child and youth development podcast brought to you by Catalyst Family Inc. I am Valerie Kelly, and with me is my co-host, Allie Ladio. If you are a parent, teacher, or work in a childcare setting, our podcast is for you. On Shine, we interview experts in child and youth development, share helpful parenting resources and advice, and provide you with inspiring stories as well as practical advice for supporting your family, community, classroom, and beyond. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Shine, inspiring conversations around children, family, and early child development. Today, we're going to get advice on how to look for quality childcare, a topic that I know is on a lot of parents' minds right now. As we know, the childcare sector has been devastated by the pandemic, with thousands of licensed childcare centers in California either permanently or temporarily closed during 2020. Now we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, and many families who had their kids at home with them over the last year are looking for quality childcare for their children. There are so many factors to consider, from curriculum and programming to health and safety, communication styles, location, and so much more than that. I'm so glad that we were able to speak with two experts on the matter for this episode. We have Allison Michelle Hall, Senior Director of Education for Catalyst Family, and Heather Slimp, Program Quality Manager for Catalyst. Please enjoy and be sure to get in touch with us to let us know your thoughts on the episode and to follow up with any questions you might have. You can reach us at shinepodcast at catalystfamily.org. Hi, Allison. Hi, Heather. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting us. I'm really delighted to be here. Yes, very happy to be part of this conversation. Awesome. Yeah, it's such a such an important one right now. Um, we really, I mean, it's always something that's a priority topic and conversation for parents, especially new parents. But as we've um, talked about, it's particularly of interest right now, considering that a lot of people are finally starting to look forward to putting their kids back in childcare. Those who've had their kids out for a long time or maybe have delayed full-time childcare because of the pandemic. And so we know this is top of mind for a lot of families and I'm excited to be with you both today so we can dive in and hopefully answer some of the questions that a lot of our listeners are having right now. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I'd love to just start off by letting each of you share a little bit about yourselves. Would you mind doing a little introduction? Sure. I'm um, Allison Michelle Hall. I um, have been in, uh, a catalyst here for, I was counting up the years, uh, just almost uh, 24 years. And I've been in the field of early childhood education for 35. I have my uh, bachelor's degree in child development. And I'm just wrapping up my master's degree in early childhood studies. Uh, I'm also a mom of two and an auntie and great auntie to over 20 children. So I remember being in this position, both myself with my own children, as well as with some of my nieces and nephews. It's a huge decision. Wow. Yeah, that's great. You're coming from a very experienced place. I'm so glad to have you here today. And how about you, Heather? Hi, my name is Heather Slimp. I am one of our the program quality managers in Sacramento, California. I have been working with children for 20 years. I started working um, at summer camps. My background is 
in camps and recreation. I have my bachelor's degree in psychology and my master's in recreation administration. So just have always loved working with kids and then um, was fortunate to become a mom. I have a three and a half year old twins, a boy and a girl, and they're just absolutely wonderful. It's a really fun age. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate that. Um, so let's just start, um, get started with the beginning. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about how someone should even get started with searching for childcare. I know that when I began the process, I was pretty overwhelmed and constantly concerned that I wasn't going to hit all the bases. So <laughs> how would someone get started if they're doing it for the first time? So in early childhood education, I think a big piece of what happens is kind of the word of mouth advertising. So even just to get started, I always recommend to families to just start by asking their friends, their acquaintances, people they see at the park when they take their children, that they uh, see their children there, to start kind of getting some information about the local centers in your area. Um, even next door, I've seen put it on, people put it on the next door app. Um, but it's a kind of a good place to start just to kind of generate a list for yourself um, so that you have something to kind of dig into deeper. There's um, also you kind of got to do your homework. You've got to start looking to see if the programs that maybe people have recommended or maybe just something you've seen driving by in your neighborhood and you like the playground or you like something about it. You um, can kind of start with looking for the logistical information. Will this program meet your needs? Is it full day? Is it part day? Does it give you options for full day or part week? Do you need five full days a week? And so part day is just not an option for you. Uh, so you kind of have to um, So you also want to look and see what ages they take because uh, some programs will take the you know infants at six to eight weeks and go all the way up through kindergarten and even beyond sometimes other times it's more um you know just very specific ages of three to five and they must be potty trained etc so also the cost you want to look at the cost of course um is it private pay is it a subsidized program what do you think that might you know be available for you um a couple of things that I would also look very carefully at is the group size and uh, adult-child ratio. I, uh, NAEYC, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, is our biggest um, organization, national organization in early childhood, and they have a set of gold standards that for the field that many uh, centers follow that will... Um, kind of um, speak to the ratios and the group size. Uh, there's also a quality rating and improvement system called QRIS here in California. And many other states also have their own uh, QRIS, which uh, gives centers a four to five star. Uh, actually, I think it's one to five star, but I would suggest looking for four to five stars. And um, looking for, for preschool ratios, of one to eight or one to 10 um, with group sizes of 20 to 24 at the most. 
Infants and toddlers, uh, much smaller ratio, one to three, one to four, depending on the exact age of the child with group sizes of eight or nine, or for the older toddlers, 12 to 18. Um, also want to look to see if they are licensed and if their license is in good standing. You can connect with your local community care licensing. Um, just Google them and put in the center name. Um, or you, a lot of times on their websites, as you're doing your homework, you can find their license number. So those are just some of the few things I would kind of start with. That's a lot of really great information. And I think I did cover about half of that when we were doing our research, but I know when we moved, we also sort of had to hurry. So, um, you know, we got lucky that we, we made a good choice, but that can be, that can be stressful. So thank you so much for that. Heather, would you add anything to that from, from your experience? I would. So how I got started was actually using Google maps and, um, kind of creating a, an area that was, um, near my house and, just plugged in preschools. And so that gave me an idea of which preschools were uh, in the area around me. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have any um, full-time um, catalyst programs or near my home. Um, so I had to kind of do, do a search. And with that, um, I had to go and I've looked through them one by one, starting by looking at their websites and, and using the information that Allison shared as a filter and seeing what I could at least gather from the website before contacting the centers directly. So definitely um, searching via Google Maps or a Google search of just getting a sense of what is around you um, is helpful. I actually love that because... Uh, one of the things when you're starting to put your child to childcare is honestly the logistics of managing your life and all of the new transitions and everything that are going to happen. So that convenience is a huge part of it too. So that's a great addition. Thank you. Um, and I know right now something that's probably top of mind for everybody is the health and safety of a center. I know probably people are thinking about it more than ever before. Um, so and what should parents look for there just in regards to health and safety in general, but then maybe even in particular during these unique COVID times? <laughs> sure. And, and health and safety has always been a huge part of the early childhood uh, education field. We have been washing our hands for 20 seconds for many, many, many years before it became kind of a popular uh, thing to do uh, during COVID. But um, just for example, in a program, um, first, I would really suggest you physically visit the program, if at all possible, uh, because you're going to see the most when you actually visit the center. Um, when you go into the classroom, you want to look to make sure there's no broken toys or sharp edges. Um, is it clean? Does it look clean? Does it appear clean and uncluttered? Is there hand washing going on? At times, you know, hand washing should be going on, like when children are going to eat, um, when they go to the restroom, when teachers wipe a nose of a, ch of a child. Um, just those kind of basic sanitation um, things are important to think about. If it's an infant and toddler center in particular, children tend to put things in their mouth a lot. And um, so it's really important to know how the center handles that and if they're able to 
Um, make sure they have a plan for that toy before it goes back on the shelf so it gets sanitized. Um, that, that has been something that I think is uh, important to kind of look for, uh, particularly during this COVID time. You want to also look at things um, or ask about how often the center is cleaned. Is it cleaned nightly? Um, how do they handle things like allergies to be ensure that your child, if, if your child's allergic to something, they are not going to have any access to it? Um, how do they handle that and make sure that um, your child is safe in that respect? Uh, also, looking outside um, is important. Same kind of thing. Is there sharp edges? What does the playground look like? Is it organized? Um, um, is there a lot of opportunities for children to kind of move around, run, ride bikes, that kind of thing? But in particular for the safety, just the same things you would look for or make sure you wouldn't send your child out on a bike with a wobbly wheel. There should be no bikes with wobbly wheels at the site. And, um, you know, now during this COVID time, uh, preschool children uh, and um, should be wearing masks the majority of the time. It's, it's sometimes very difficult for them, but um, keep whenever they're within six feet of others, there's probably going to be physical marks on the floor to show if they're standing around or in a line or in a circle six feet apart. Um, you want to look for those types of boundaries. Um, the teachers should be using protective equipment. They should have their masks on. For infants and toddlers, they need to have changes of, you know, teachers change of clothes or a shirt or some kind of barrier in case an infant drools on them. Uh, we don't really social distance with infants and young toddlers because they really need that high touch. But teachers need to be super vigilant about um, keeping themselves um, safe as well as keeping each infant and toddler safe and making sure that those children, um, you know, sort of don't exchange germs. So it's a bit of a challenge, especially with the younger ones, but I have seen many centers really being very successful with this. That's really helpful. Thank you. I know that, that the, the COVID precautions are a hot topic that hopefully will be in the past soon enough, but it's um, really great to hear about some of the um, kind of bare minimum things that we should be looking for. Um, and the next thing is something that I know that I didn't look into too much when I was looking for childcare. I didn't know much about the different types of curriculum and programming, and I learned about them as I went and uh, luckily, the the early childcare we went with um, was generally good fit. But you know, I have two two girls now, and they've gone through a couple of different things, and I've seen some things that work and some don't for our family. And so, um, is there anything you could share that you know new parents when they're starting down this path, what they could look for in terms of program and curriculum? Absolutely, I um, you know just being in the field for as long as I as I have. The curriculum, um, there's many different types of curriculum, but the curriculum that I would look for is something that's hands-on, that children have access to materials, they're able to, um, teachers are able to observe children and build on what they know, because we know that children in this age group learn from what they know, kind of building on it, very concrete 
uh, information. They need to be able to have a lot of time during their day to free play, uh, to explore materials and connect with other children. Uh, we, in early childhood education, we call this developmentally appropriate practice or DAP, D-A-P. Um, that's the kind of program. And there's, like I said, many different programs that um, could be um, kind of instrumental in providing a developmentally appropriate program. Um, you want to look in the classrooms for at least four kind of types of areas being available or materials for children. Uh, you want to look for things like dress up clothes or materials that they can pretend play with. Um, some art materials, that's the second area, sort of art materials, things that they can make things with or build things with. Or, um, the third area would be a block area, again, a, a place where they can build, create things um, with Legos or Lincoln blocks or unit blocks, uh, just the plain regular blocks. Um, and then also a soft kind of quiet space where one or two chil children can go. So the environment is going to be very important when you're looking. It's going to tell you a lot about uh, the accessibility of materials uh, for children. For infants and toddlers, you want to look for similar areas, but hopefully you will see more sensory activities, um, things that are very tactile that children can touch and manipulate. Um, you also just want to look generally at the organization of the environment. Is it inviting and enticing? Do you think your children would enjoy um, being a part of this classroom? Uh, one thing that I think is also really important is as you look around the classroom, is there pictures uh, that reflect your background, your family type, uh, your cultural um cultural experiences what are what are do you feel like you would be well represented in the classroom and if not that would be a question that you can ask about because there may have not been a person uh, at your center in the past of your culture but I worked at a university so we had a lot of children from all over the world and every time a new family came in it was a really wonderful opportunity to learn about that particular culture and to incorporate that some way into the classroom so if it's not there the openness to bringing it I think is really important I'd also want to know things um, about the daily routine, kind of what will my child be doing all day. Um, if the child's under 12 months, it's important to uh, ask about the routine because the routine really should align with your child's routine. So it really, if your child sleeps at 10 o'clock, that's when they should be sleeping. If they're awake at 2 o'clock, um, that's when they should be awake. If they're used to lunch at 1 o'clock, that's when they should be feeding them lunch. Uh, things like that. So they really should follow your your infant's uh, schedule. Whereas in the older age groups, there's usually a schedule with a lot of flexibility. Um, and the, the another thing that I would also 
also ask about, um, particularly of the teachers, or it may be something you're able to observe while you're there visiting, is how do the teachers handle conflict in the classroom? Conflict is kind of a natural thing that's going to happen when you bring a group of children together and can be a really wonderful learning experience if handled sort of through a problem-solving approach um, versus kind of a punitive approach. That's so those right. are just a few of the things I would look for. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, oh, that's a good one about the, the, the how to solve a problem. I think there's a lot of different ways to do that. And then that is definitely, as a parent, something that I would be um, just very sensitive to. You know, everyone has sort of their ways of doing it. So um, I remember that was the selling point when one of my, my daughter's first um, daycare, Not now she's at Catalyst, but originally she was somewhere else. And I saw how they handled a mini violent episode between kids. And I was very impressed. And I realized that was something I hadn't quite thought of before. Heather, you might have come into this um, during your search with a little bit more um, of a background in education on all of this than I did. <laughs> so do you have anything to add about, you know, the sort of things you considered um, when you were looking for child care for your kids? Yeah, so I, I was... Um thinking also about the um, behavior supports um, that were uh, in place at the, in, in the center um, that was coming to mind while Allison was sharing, because that was just very important to me when looking in the search of, because um, there are centers that still do timeouts. And if timeouts aren't something that you do at home, then it's going to, you don't want to have that conflict of like what is typically done at home um, to what is then right. at the, happening at the center. Um, I think too, coming into it is having your own understanding of what you are hoping to get for your, um, for your child set expectations. Um, if you have a partner at home that the two of you also have kind of set expectations together um, in conversations with my husband, you know, because of my background, I would say that I have very much higher expectations mm -hmm. for uh, for childcare, especially related to programming. Where he told me, you know, I just really want them to be healthy and safe. <laughs> um, you have a little bit more expecting expecting than that. <laughs> yeah, um, and so I think it is thinking about those routines and what you have going on at home. Um, if you can have that reflected um, in the center, you, that's just going to be a more enjoyable experience for um, your child or children and, and for your family. Thank you so much. I totally agree. Another thing I thought of when you were talking, Allison, is about just the different access to activities um, such as art and, you know, the uh, dress up clothes and things like that. And when you said art, <laughs> that was, that's one of my favorite ones because as a full-time working mom who, you know, I wish I could be there with them for all the activities in the world, but the last thing I want to do with them when they get home in the evenings and I'm exhausted from a work day is break out the paints. <laughs> and that's something that I was always so relieved when they can get messy at school and really dive in and use their hands on art projects and take that load off of me because as much as I love art, I don't want to do the cleanup. <laughs> so that was something I was always really grateful for. Oh, good. You got all messy at school today. Thank you, teachers, for <laughs> me not having to do that. The teachers are kind of set up for that. It's it's a little more difficult at home, but it's yeah. definitely 
uh, your child should be messy when, when uh, their clothes should be dirty. They should look like they've had a very um, kind of exciting uh, day by the time you pick them up. Although some children are, don't get messy, many, many will. I know some kids just don't like it, but yeah, I always, I always, my favorite way to pick up my daughter was when she had green paint in her hair. I was like, oh, good day for you. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And that's a good segue to another, um, thing that I know I always looked for, which was that, you know, the signs of that, uh, respectful and loving adult to child, uh, relationship. And so I'd love to dive into that a little bit next. Um, again, as a full-time working mom, I always saw the childcare that I would uh, bring my daughters to as that extension of our family that, you know, it takes a village mentality and um, I really had faith in them feeling trust to go to their um, teacher as somebody that they can run to when they get a boo-boo just the same way they would run to me on the weekend. Um, do you have any tips to share about just how to find the right fit uh, when it comes to the way that the adults interact with children at their center? Yeah, I, um, I think in general, you're looking that the teachers are really enjoying the children that they're with. Um, and when your child walks in with you, do they greet you? Do they get down at the child's level? When you walk in the classroom, teachers really should be engaged with children. They need to look up and acknowledge you, but they should be really engaged with children, interacting, playing with them uh, down at their level. Um, their tone of voice, you want to look at or listen for their tone of voice. Is it pleasant? Is it warm? Um, how, how do they soothe children when they're upset? Um, it's, that's really was important to me. I remember when my daughter was four years old, uh, and I was lucky because both of my kids went to catalyst programs. They're eight years apart. They went to two different catalyst programs, but, um, I remember when my four year old daughter ran into the classroom and threw her arms around her teacher and just said, um, you know, I love you, Miss Jillian. And I walked out of there feeling like a million dollars, like, wow, I really hit the jackpot here because that's what it's all about. It is that relationship that you're looking for. Yeah, as an adult, you want to have that feeling of connectedness to the teacher, but you also, and most importantly, want your child to have that connectedness to the teacher. And um, spending time visiting the program um, also really helps that. My son, um, my first child, came when he, um, he became three and a half years old, I took him in to visit the program I had chosen for him to go to. Uh, he visited eight times before I ever left him there. So I was kind of that annoying parent that wouldn't stop. Uh, but by the time I left him there, he was very comfortable, you know, so was I, I felt very comfortable. So, um, and I felt really connected. He had a primary teacher. I think that was really important. One or two people that your child um, can really connect with. 
uh, is something that I, I would really highly uh, encourage looking for. So um, yes, your child will be with more than one adult during the day, especially if the program is a full day program. Teachers can't work from seven in the morning till seven at night. But uh, typically, um, and often I know at Catalyst we do, we always um, have primary caregivers for children. Even though they have one or two other teachers that they will interact with, there's always one kind of primary person. Right. I, that's interesting to note. I, I feel like I've noticed that without noticing it. <laughs> and now I, but now I can look, think back and think, yeah, there was always one um, sort of go-to and that was really comforting to me. And I, um, yeah, I remember you reminding me of one story where I, I was actually still there at drop-off and my daughter tripped and fell and she was halfway between me and her teacher and she ran to her teacher for comfort. And I was like, Ooh, does this sting right now? And then I realized, no, I'm just purely relieved. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I thought I, I felt like I had progressed as a mom in that moment <laughs> to not, <laughs> to be yes. like just happy and just relieved to share that. And I was like, okay, bye. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, um, that felt like a really important moment to me. Um, thank you. Awesome. And I'm sure you have some experience with this as well, Heather. I do. So again, everything that Allison was saying about what you really hope to see in a teacher that just really warm and loving and using um, that warm and loving like tone of voice with children, especially um, with the younger children, not that older children um, don't deserve a warm and loving tone of voice, but um, you know, fifth and sixth graders, you talk to them a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and that's just so important. And so during this time, um, quite a few centers aren't allowing um, center visits um, or tours during the hours that the children are there. So that's one thing as a parent you kind of have to possibly plan for is that you would be going there after hours and being able to see the environment. So when um, setting up the tour time, you could ask um, the director, you know, would it be possible to meet one of the teachers while I'm there as well? Um, or just kind of get as much information out of you can as you can from either the director, assistant director, whoever is giving you a tour to kind of get a, a sense of um, how they really encourage their teachers to work with children. This podcast is presented to you by Catalyst Family Inc., parent company of Catalyst Kids. Catalyst is the largest nonprofit childcare organization in California, and we encourage children's unique development through play based learning, support busy families through quality care, and strengthen communities by providing a safe place for every child to thrive, offering daycares, preschools, and after school programs, camps, and beyond. Find us at catalystkids.org. Great. Thank you. That's that's all really helpful. I have some friends that are excited for this episode to as they're starting to look forward to childcare and I can just uh, imagine them <laughs> right now taking notes. So this has been great. Um, we've just a couple more things to cover. And one of them is another area that I think uh, 
you know, sort of as a second thought, a little bit of an afterthought when it comes to starting a new childcare program. And that's the communications that parents can expect with a center, things like hearing about what's going on or things like getting photos occasionally. Um, what are some things that parents can expect or ask for, you think, in a, a high quality childcare center? Yeah, um, definitely more than once in a while photos, hopefully these days with um, the technology that we have available to us. Um, definitely uh, you as a parent have the right to be informed about what's going on with your child on a regular basis. So it's important to... Um, you know, for centers to provide that to families uh, in the form of just little notes or updates, photos of what your child's doing um, on a particular day, or if they've made a big accomplishment, uh, they built a big tower uh, today during um, their free play time, that kind of thing, um, that you want to... Uh, be able to kind of see and have some understanding and knowledge of what your child's doing uh, during the day so that when you pick them up, you can say, hey, I saw that, that tower you built today. Tell me more about that. Or, um, you know, via newsletters, uh, many centers do newsletters or some sort of form of newsletters. It might be an email. It might be a physical piece of paper newsletter, you know, it, it could be many different ways, but just like, hey, we're working on, you know, this particular topic. Um, we've been, you know, counting bugs out in the yard this week and encourage your child to do the same at home to kind of feel that connection between what you can do at home to support and what's happening at, on site. Um, you also want to look for centers that have kind of periodic activities to bring families together. I know during this pandemic, that's been really tough, but we've done, um, the Catalyst programs have done a lot of really um, cool things like having virtual art shows or um, parent parades, things, or fam excuse me, um, friendship parades, they called okay. it. Um, doing different things to kind of bring um, that feeling of community and, um, you know, some sort of uh, connection where families can get together and get to know each other, maybe some education, maybe an advisory board um, meeting, things where families can actually connect because that's part of the experience of being in an early childhood program is your children will play with other people's children and there needs to be opportunities for you to get to know each other as well because sometimes those will extend on for years and years. Those, those are kind of friendships that start. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, thank you. And I totally, I love that example of the building a block. I, I love when you can act like you were there a little bit, like a little piece of you just saw or knew what they were doing that day. And I've had my, my kids eyes light up when they're like, Oh yeah, you know that I was up to that. And then they want to share more. Um, so that's really, really great to hear. Heather, would you add anything to what Allison said? Um, nothing else. Okay. Um, 
Well, I think that we're about to um, hit the end of our time, but I'd love to just open it up if there's anything that we don't think we uh, shared yet. Do you have any additional um, advice or items that we didn't hit today? Um, and maybe I'll ask Heather if you want to start off. Is there anything you've been through it so recent, recently? So is there anything you would add that um, parents should keep in mind when they're looking for childcare? Yeah, so I would say that it's, if you're able to, to take the time to, to look at a variety of programs and just know that that does take time to go through websites and get information that you can find to schedule tours. And again, that those tours are probably going to be either before or after the, um, the regular school hours and having conversations with um, with other families that you know, um, to kind of get a sense of where, um, where you might want to send your child. And then also just comparing the costs. I mean, it, childcare costs, um, vary widely. Um, and it's not even sometimes, you know, representative of the quality that you would get. It's just, um, it's just, yeah, varies yeah. very widely. That's great. Don't just assume that if it's more, it's because it's better or the other way around, you know, just do the other research in addition to that. Um, I remember one thing you reminded me of when you mentioned cost. I remembered that one of the things that was a make or breaker for me, again, it was sort of a convenience thing. If all else is equal, I would really like for the child care center to feed my child so I don't have mm-hmm. to pack lunches every day. I loved that. Um as a perk and I didn't realize how much that would change my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, when you think little of, things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like Thanks. lunches, I know with my children, especially now, um, you know, they're three and a half, but they don't really nap anymore. So how long is nap time gonna be? Is that gonna kinda affect how they are in the program? Um just exactly. kind of, yeah, just finding all those different things. Um So if you're able to give yourself some time um, and then if you're in a place where you need to find some place quickly and that's okay, like you're going to find a place that is going to be, that's going to treat your children right. That's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Would you add anything else and anything that we didn't cover yet from your perspective? Yes, I just wanted to share um, the three resources that we're providing or that I um, wanted to oh, share yeah. is the childcare.gov, um, which has uh, kind of five steps to choosing care, uh, selecting a program, visiting, um, talks also about the QRIS, the quality rating um, that we talked about earlier. Uh, that's one resource. Another is Child Care Aware, which has several resource guides uh, when you visit the centers and NAEYC, the National Association for the Early Child, um, the Education of Young Children. Uh, also, um, we've included a resource to how to look for a program or what to look for, and it's divided by ages. Um, the only other thing I would add is ultimately pick a center you feel um, comfortable with and then stay involved. Stay involved as a parent with the teachers kind of sets the trajectory for supporting your child long term in their educational career. This is the beginning. So figure out how you can be a part of this experience with your child. 
Thank you so much. That's a that's a great one too. And that's a great one to end on. I hope that this was really informative for our listeners and I'm sure it was. We will include those resources in our show notes for everybody. And we look forward to um, hearing uh, from you guys in the future. Hopefully we'll have something to touch base on after um, you know more people are back in childcare. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. sure we'd love to touch base again. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Shine, inspiring conversations around children, family, and early child development. Please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and connect with us. You can find us at catalystkids.org slash shine.